When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Mini Break, your date podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, April 28th. On today's show, I want to get into the action we see unfolding this week on both the ATP and WTA tours. Of course, we're already halfway through our two ATP events unfolding in Munich and Estoril. As we approach quarterfinal Friday, though, I want to offer my thoughts on who has been the most impressive at each of those two ATP events, in particular in Estoril. Got to get into the success of Sebastian Baez. We saw him do it on clay at the challenger level for the duration of the 2021 season. He's leveraged that challenger success into playing ATP tour level events this season. He reaches a quarterfinal in Astral, knocking off Marin Cilic today to do so. I want to talk about why Sebastian Baez, who it's so easy to draw comparisons to, to Diego Schwartzman. They're both Argentinian. They're both 5'7 or shorter. And yet, I think Baez attacks his opponents in such a different fashion than Schwartzman. Such a fascinating game style from the young Argentinian. I want to break down his success here on today's show. I also got to offer an update on Francis Tiafo, who physically, just again, looks to have taken things to another level this season. Two three-set victories for Tiafo in Estoril in particular. Yesterday, a three-set win over Cracked Rackets friend of the show and, of course, former Mississippi State All-American Nuno Borges. I want to talk about why Tiafo has impressed me so much despite being pushed to three sets in both of his victories. And then, of course, we'll set the stage for the rest of the week in Estoril in Munich. Certainly, there have been some upsets. Holger Rune knocking off Alex Virov. I'll offer my thoughts on that performance. Is it time to cross Virov off? not only out of French Open contention, but maybe for the remainder of the 2022 season as a Grand Slam contender. I'm sure there are many of you listeners who have already done so. I'm inching closer and closer to that mark, and we can discuss that today, talk about Kasparud's survival against the always tricky on the clay courts. Alex Mulcan root a much-needed three-set victory. Alejandro Tabilo making the most of his lucky loser. Mjumir Kesmenovic, as impressive as any player you'll watch right now on the ATP Tour. Of course, we had some upsets as well we can get into with Munich. And then we had the official start of the WTA 1000-level event unfolding over the next, what, eight, nine, ten days in Madrid and Anytime there's a WTA 1000-level event, certainly we just saw this last week in Stuttgart. You know the draw is going to be loaded. You're going to have highlight top 40 matchups from the start, top 20 matchups from the start. Certainly, we got a sneak peek of that as an Amanda Nisimova knocks off Arena Sabalenka, your defending champ, in three sets in the first round in what was a fantastic level of tennis. Obviously, want to talk about that upset. Has Anisimova been the best player in America? American women's tennis this season. I can make the case for her here on today's show. I'll listen to other arguments, but let me make the case for her here today. And then, you know, again, Paula Badosa looking awfully good through a set and half, you know, or excuse me, through the back half of her match against Veronica Kudermatova. We'll look at that draw. And again, why is this action in Madrid? particularly interesting. Well, I think for all of us, the 2022 French Open women's singles favorite is Ika Sviantek. The world number one has won more than 20 consecutive matches, winning the massive titles in the Middle East, and then Indian Wells, Miami. She does it last week in Stuttgart as well. She's not playing this week in Madrid, opting to rest given she's got an injury. She is nursing, and look, she's played plenty of matches here this season. No one is doubting Ika's level, regardless of what happens this week. She's still going to be your favorite former French Open champion, has gotten even better since then, unequivocal favorite, entering the French Open. But who 
is the best of the rest? That's the question Madrid offers us a glimpse into, and that's why I want to talk about the draw here today, the early first-round matches we've seen complete. And again, set the scene for all of you listeners, what you can expect on quarterfinal Friday on the men's side and unfolding over the course of the weekend on the WTA Tour. Of course, the reason we're able to do that day in, day out here on the Mini Break Podcast is because of the support we get from all of you. And I know you're probably sick of hearing me say this, but sincerely, the fact that we look and each and every week, each and every month, we continue to get more and more listeners, more and more downloads. We are immensely grateful for that fact and uh, so thankful that so many of you have stuck with us this year and uh, throughout the course of our journey here at Cracked Rackets as we try to provide all of you with the coverage we think you tennis fans deserve. Tennis is the sort of sport. You've got three events happening, and that's just at the pro level here today. Of course, you've got plenty of collegiate action as regular season and conference tournament play wraps. Uh, wraps up. You've got challenger action every week happening across the globe. ITF action at both the uh, professional and junior levels and so much more. We know it's our mission here at Cracked Rackets to provide you all with all of the information that you keep tuning in, sharing it with your friends. Provides us the opportunity to do that and it also helps us again with the formula gods if you go leave us a five-star review wherever you're listening to this podcast, Spotify, Apple, or something else. Leave us a little uh, message as well. Things perhaps you'd like to hear more of from us moving forward. We will do our best to oblige. But again, so grateful so many of you continue to tune in. Also immensely grateful for the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point. Earlier today, you heard my conversation with Tennis Point's Dave Limpke about the many fantastic new products being offered by Tennis Point, who are the best in the business in offering the latest and greatest equipment at the lowest prices. Of course, you all know the deal. Go to tennis-point.com today. Treat yourself. You've earned that new gear, whether it be a racket, shoes, shirt, accentuate the finer features of yourself. Look good, feel good, play good on court. Our friends at Tennis Point can help you do that. Tennis-point.com today. Use that promo code CR15 to get 15% off all sale items. Free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Again, that's Tennis-Point. Symbol, not the spelling. Tennis-Point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, let's get into the action. We see unfolding this week on the ATP and WTA tours. I'm going to start with the 1000 level event we've got going on in Madrid because, again, who is the number two favorite right now as we approach the French Open? Certainly, world number two, Paula Bedosa, has been as steady as any player you'll see over the past six months on the WTA Tour, whether it was her title in Indian Wells, following that up uh, this year uh, with another big run. And, you know, for Paula Bedosa, I think the thing she's done perhaps best this year is avoid a bad loss. You look for her throughout the course of the season. I mean, maybe you want to say her loss in Dubai to Elena Gabriela Russa. Yeah, that wasn't the best loss. Still a three-set loss for her there. And, you know, again, semifinals Indian Wells this year, quarterfinals Miami, quarterfinals Charleston. In semifinals, Stuttgart earns a first-round victory, uh, 6-3-6 love over Veronica Kudermatova, who had been a longtime foe for her to advance to the round of 32 here in Madrid. And what was so impressive for Paula Bedosa was how effective she was on serve. And look, Veronica Kudermatova is the sort of player and we've talked about her recently. Uh, we talked about her extensively with David Kane on the Great Shot podcast earlier this week, as a matter of fact, when we were playing catch-up on all the action that's unfolded. I mean, Kudermatova's top 15 in terms of points accumulated on the season this year. The 25-year-old Russian right now, 10th in the points race overall. She's fourth in hold percentage in 2022 and is so aggressive with her plus-one tennis, takes massive cuts on the return of serve, and while she's perennially bottom 10 among top 50 players in terms of break percentage. She's making a career high in terms of returns in play this season. Just by putting more returns in play puts her in 1530 or 30-40 advantageous positions where she can then take the big cut on the forehand return. And she was doing that through the duration of the first six games against Paula Bedosa. Had multiple break opportunities in Bedosa's first three service games. But credit to Paula Bedosa who found a service rhythm against Kudermatova in this match that I had not seen from her previously. And you look for uh, 
Paula Bedosa today made 69% of her first serves, 185% of her first serve points. She was hitting aces 10% of the time on serve, and it was the way she was hitting her aces because Kudermatova is always going to take the big cut on that forehand return. And as such, she assumes, as most players do, that they're going to target her backhand, which is a little bit more erratic, a little bit, but uh, excuse me, a little bit less dangerous, even if it may be the steadier of the two. Uh, You're a little bit less afraid of her connecting with that shot on the return. Bedosa played on that. You know, anytime Kudermatova cheated over, whether it was the slice out wide on the deuce side, the slice tee on the ad, which she hit for an ace, I think, five different times in this match. I mean, Bedosa was mixing her spots up so well. And then, you know, when she was going to the bread and butter, kick out wide on the ad side to open up the forehand to the open court or just any play to the open court. She put so many returns of serve in play and just was able to get the point back to neutral with that return of serve, prevented Kudermatova from having the easy plus one forehand opportunities. Then she got into her bag in the second set, whether it was the drop shots, whether it was the angles, whether it was moving forward and hitting volleys out of the air. Bedosa played exceptional tennis. This is the best I've seen her play in a bit of time. Even, you know, again, last week for her and Stuttgart gets a 7-6 in the third win over Rabakina, a 6-3 in the third win over Jabour. Those were great matches, and she fought extraordinarily well. I don't think she played particularly well in those matches. She played well, moved well, you know, absorbed the first strike of Kudermatova, and again, found big serves, particularly when the competition was close early in that second set, and then at the start of the second, uh, early in that first set, and then the start of the second set, she hit the gas pedal. Again, you look for Paula Bedosa. She's 54-19 and overall in her last 52 weeks of play. That's an exceptional 74% win percentage, 21-8 and overall this season. But again, it hasn't been a cookie-cutter schedule uh, that she's been playing. You look for Bedosa when she's played opponents ranked outside the top 20, she's 18-6. and When she's played top 20 opponents, still 3-2 and overall. And again, wins over Krechikova, wins over Rabakina, win over Jabour. Now a very impressive win over a very much in-form Veronica Kudermatova. It is not a hot take. To say Paula Bedosa, who is one of, you know, eight women to rank top 20 in both hold and break percentage over the last 52 weeks, and is number two in the freaking world in uh, in the rankings right now, it is not a hot take to say she's your number, you know, she's in the number two slot to be the uh, favorite to win the French Open quarterfinalist last year, of course, as well. But that is how well she's been playing this year. That's how consistent she's been this year in the biggest stages. And even when she hasn't been playing her best, she's still managed to push matches to three sets. It's the it's the completeness. Completeness? Is that a word? Is It's the complete nature. We'll go with that. Of Paula Bedosa's game. It, it, again, what can't she do on a tennis court? Is she an elite, elite mover? No. But she's very, very good. Like, she does not lack in fluidity. She may not have the quickest first step, but she anticipates well. She's able to slide in and out of her shots. And, you know, again, I think, does she have elite, elite power? No. But she's great at using her quickness to beat you to the spot, generate depth and length on her shots, and can go down the line cross-court. Did a great job of not playing down the center against Kudermatova, finding the outer thirds of the court, not allowing Kudermatova to set her feet and swing freely. Bedosa can just do a lot. She can take a lot of things away from you. Now, does she impose herself as much as, say, a Sabalenka at her best, a Krechikova at her best? Maybe not. But the steadiness of Bedosa will give all of those players fits if they're not swinging their if they're not you know playing their best if they're not landing and making all of their first strikes because Bedosa will force you to make that second ball uh, as well. I mean again, good first victory for Paula Bedosa as she advances in straight sets uh, over Veronica Kudermetova, and you look for the number two seeded Bedosa, who now is your highest ranked player in the draw, given the absence of Iga Shviantek. Paula Bedosa, according to the Tennis Abstract win forecast, a 9.4% chance of winning this event. She is the second favorite, but the favorite, according to the Tennis Abstract forecast, Garbine Muguruza at 10.5%. After that, you have uh, 
Bedosa, 9.4. Simona Halep, who, by the way, is in Bedosa's section, and that's why neither Bedosa or Halep are the favorites to win this event. It's simply because they're in the same freaking, not even quarter, they're in the same round of 16 of the draw. Uh, they would be, they will be second round opponents. What a terrible second, you know, round of 32 matchup speaks to, again, the loaded nature of the WTA Tour. And by the way, Simona Hal, pretty impressive 6-2-6-3 win over Shui Zheng. I mean, that's very much a title, uh, title, not title belt. It's very much a pecking order sort of match. If Halep beats Bedosa, you look for Simona Halep on the season, who hasn't played the most as she's been dealing with on and off injuries, but very quietly, Simona Halep this season, again, I believe, now 31-11 and 11 overall in her last 52 weeks, 16-4 and four overall this season, and again. A 6-4 and four loss to Egan in the Indian Wells semifinals. No shame in that. A three-set loss to Yelena Ostapenko in the Dubai semifinals. Ostapenko goes on to win the title. No shame in that. Now, her loss to Alizé Cornet in, at the Australian Open, that was a head-scratcher. The loss in Doha to Caroline Garcia, that was a head-scratcher. And does Halep have a signature victory this season? Well, wins over Kudermatova, Coco Goff are good. Win over Own Jabour, pretty solid as well in Dubai, although Jabour wasn't the healthiest. This would be a first signature victory. This is a massive moment for Simona Halep, who served pretty well against Zhang. You know, wins 78% of her first serve points, made 65% of her first serves, fought off four of the five break points that she faced. I mean, again, it's a battle of attrition. How fit is Simona Halep right now? Because her and Bedosa, two players who, again, are going to take away what you want to do most, and yet you can't leave a ball in the center of the court because they're going to get you moving to the outer thirds. They're going to open up space for themselves. They drive the ball well. Neither has the biggest first serve, but when they hit their spots well, they're so effective with the plus one balls. Again, Simona Halep will see a lot of herself in the in the game of Paula Bedosa, who may have a bit more firepower. I mean, Halp's a better mover, certainly a more fluid in the outer third. She is the elite of the elite and probably a little bit more defensive than Bedosa would be, but it's going to be a physical match. It's a really fun round of 32 uh, battle. And again, these two players are going to have to face off head-to-head against one another in the second round here in Madrid. Simona Halep currently ranked number 21. You look for her right now in the race to the year-end finals. She's ninth, which is far more indicative of the level we've seen from her this season. Currently 22 with one more victory. She'd jump up to 21 in the live rankings. Needs two wins to get back to the top 20. Let's just say, hypothetically, Simona Halep did win this title. She'd get all the way back up to number 11. Worth always remembering, Simona Halep's just 30 years old. Like, I think we still have, again, 2020, The one of the biggest what-ifs is would that have been a, a definitive signature year for Simona Halep? And I know Ashley Barty was sniffing all over breaking through, but Halep was so good in 2019, reaches the semifinals of the 2020 Australian Open uh, before I believe she lost to Muguruza, but was playing so well and just, you know, again, was undefeated in clay court play before, uh, or maybe not undefeated, but was playing extraordinarily well in the clay courts before getting smacked by Iga at the French Open in 2020. I mean, that was one result that clouds what was otherwise I mean, she was the best player. She was the most consistent player, if you look at it in in a vacuum, I suppose, uh, if possible, in that 2020 season, even if she didn't win a Grand Slam. I'm fascinated by this Halep-Pedosa matchup, if you all can't tell. But again, that's your bottom section of the draw. Simona Halep going to take on Paula Bedosa in that second round as they each earn straight set victories to advance to the round of 32. Joining them in that section of the draw, by the way, what a brutal section this is. Coco Goff, your number 14 seed, who earns a victory in straight sets 0-2 over Shmadova. She's now going to take on Yulia Putenseva. Putenseva, a 5-5 and win over the always dangerous and big-hitting Shelby Rogers again. Goff, Putenseva, Bedosa, Halep. Apologies for the pause there. That's a round of 16. Like, again, one of those players, one of those players is going to advance to the round of 16. Freaking insane. Gotta love a WTA Tour draw. Of course, above them, you had Own Jabour, who earns a victory over Jasmine Paulini in straight sets. Jabour now going to take on Bavera Gracheva, the qualifier, a victory over Alize Cornet, 1 6 7 5 7 5. Good win uh, for the qualifier, cert- uh, certainly. And then, big result for Carolina Mukova, who had a tough first round matchup in wildcard and one of the 
biggest risers of this 2022 season, Xinwen Zhang. Uh, ultimately, it was Mukova 166364, and of course, Mukova has reached quarterfinals of Grand Slam. She's been a top 20 player in the world, still under 26 years old. Obviously, has dealt with many injuries over the past six to nine months, but. I mean, look, that's a very nice victory for Mukova in three sets as she looks to find her legs under her. Now she's got a really tough test. Belinda Bencic is playing the best tennis of her career. And the Charleston champion, a 6-4, 6-1 victory for her uh, to advance over Arena Camilla Begu, the qualifier. Again, Bencic, Mukova, that's juicy. Gracheva Jabour, I enjoy that as well. That's your Paula Bedosa section of the draw. I mean, talk about a freaking gauntlet to try and get to the uh, to the semifinals of that match. Meanwhile, you look in the section above them. I believe, yeah, that is her quarter of the draw. In the section above them, your highest-ranked seed, number three seed, Arena Sabalenka. This is the Sabalenka quarter, I should say. She's already been knocked out of this event. Three-set victory for Amanda Nisimova. This was an excellent match, and ultimately Anisimova, 6-2-3-6-6-4 win over Sabalenka. She was just the more consistent of the two players, and talk about effortless power in this matchup, and I'm sure listeners are sick of hearing the analogy. Some of you were saying, is it coming? Is it coming? Well, we reached the 20-minute mark, Serena Williams, Power 10. Tennis Country Club. These players should their careers go the way I think many of us think they will go over the next decade. They will be first ballot inductees to Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. And for Amanda Nisimova, I mean, an excellent season just continues. And I think all of us now are reminded of why we thought the young uh, American was so promising. And of course, she's dealt with so many different you know, horrifying things over the past 18 months, whether it was the loss of her father, the various injuries, just things did not break particularly right for Amanda Nisimova. But again, you date back to the end of last season. I would go all the way back uh, to her U.S. Open run where, yeah, she loses to Carolina Pliskova in the second round, but a 7-5-6-7-7-6 loss to Pliskova. She was clearly beginning to play Better. You look for her again. Indian Wells last year beats uh, Katrina Scott, a fellow young American, then a 4 and 1 win over Camilla Georgie before getting knocked out by Krejcikova 2 and 3. Good ending to the season for Anisimova. Well, she's capitalized on that momentum she's built. She's 15 and 6 overall here in 2022. And other than a puzzling loss to Madison Brangle in qualifying in Dubai, you look at who the losses are to. Well, first of all, she wins that title first week of the season in the warm up event in Melbourne. Then she beats Bencic, who, as I mentioned, is playing the best tennis of her career, gets a 2 and 5 win over Bencic in Australia. Three set victory, 7 6 in the third over. Naomi Osaka before getting knocked out by eventual champion Ashley Barty. And you can argue Anisimova played Barty as well as any player during Barty's run to the Australian Open title this season. Then came the puzzling loss, certainly, to Brangle. After that, she loses to Yelena Ostapenko. Three sets in Doha. Ostapenko goes title semifinals in that Middle East stretch. Indian Wells, she's forced to retire after splitting sets with Layla Fernandez. Then a three-set loss to Shelby Rogers in Miami. Again, that's where there's a little injury bug, a little bit unfortunate. She goes to Charleston, though, and again, wins over Putenseva. A three-set win over Sabalenka, win over Vandeweghe before getting knocked off in three sets uh, in the semifinals to Own Jabour. There are some signature victories for Anisimova in this 15-6 and record, plus the title. Again, it's not just she's been beaten up on cupcakes at the 250 level. No, she's beaten Bencic, beaten Osaka, beaten Sabalenka twice now, beaten Putenseva, who's always tough on the clay courts. Anisimova's put together a very nice season, and you look for Amanda Anisimova. Again, is it the elite result of Danielle Collins making the final of the Australian opener or similarly couldn't you argue Madison Keys was the better player in Australia between her and Amanda Nisimova thus Nisimova if she's the third best American in Australia do you really want to argue she's been the best player to date this season I do think I will hear your case for Danielle Collins who I think has had the highest ceiling but just hasn't played that many matches here in 2022 which of course is due to injury problems that outside of her own control, but I do think Anisimova, the power she's shown, and just, again, in this match against Sabalenka, you look for Anisimova, the fact that she's able to, you know, again, 
uh, three of you know fight off three of the six breakpoint chances that she faced, but you know she isn't broken on serve in the first set. I think wasn't I don't believe she was or was broken maybe once in that third set. Although I don't think she was broken at all. I'm sorry. Some of these matches are blending together for me, but it's just how easy it is for her to absorb power. And everyone knows how special the backhand is. But if you give her time on that forehand, particularly on these clay courts, she goes inside out against you. You're just not tracking that ball down. Her ability to find the angle on the inside out forehand is special. And you combine that with how paralyzed you are of her potentially going with her backhand down the line when you sit on that wing. And, you know, again, is she the best lateral mover? No, she is not. If you can get her stretched into the corners, if you can play an effective plus one ball, you are in control of the point. And that second set from Marina Sabalenka, who I do not think played poorly in this match, was a reflection of that fact. But um, to Anisimova's credit, the confidence is back for her, and she just keeps swinging. You know, point in, point out, regardless what the scoreboard is, she trusts her weapons. She trusts her ability to make contact with the ball on the rise, change direction with it, you know, anticipate well enough, put enough for uh, – serves in play to uh for serves in play that she'll get to do the majority of the dictating on her serve again her service game you see all of the outline all of the potential of the ability to be of amongst the elite of the elite and right now Anisimova holding 72.1 percent of the time which would be a career high for her I mean, it's a top 20 number right now amongst WTA Tour players, and that allows her to swing more freely on the return of serve. Although, you know, again, she had some difficulties with Sabalenka's serve, but Sabalenka was landing more first serves in this match. And Sabalenka was, in that second set in particular, so disciplined in in her aggression with the plus one ball, getting Anisimova stretched on that shot and not being erratic with the second put away if required, just again attacking the open space with, with space with the plus one ball, you know, emphasizing the put away on the second attempt. Sabalenka played great, and yet Anisimova was better. And, I mean, Amanda Anisimova is a former Roland Garros semifinalist, and you look for Anisimova in terms of points accumulated on the year. She's 16th overall, still just 20 years old. I mean, certainly as promising as any American women's tennis prospect right now on tour. And, you know, again, Collins may have the higher ceiling. I know Keys is sixth in the points race. Pagula's eleventh. It's not a good argument, but I think there is an argument for Amanda Nismova being the most consistent. Now she's had the worst draws of the bunch outside of maybe Keys, but the most consistent uh, of the group here in 2022. And certainly, uh, there's a lot of promise as we watch Nismova move forward. And you look for Amanda Nismova now as she tries to move forward through uh, this draw in Madrid. It's going to be tough for her. Yes, she knocks out the number three seed, but you look for Nismova coming up next. She's got Petra Martic, the qualifier, always tough on clay three set victory uh excuse me victory over Ludmilla Samsonova for Martich uh and I believe yeah it was a 7-6-6-1 victory for her and just kind of sliced and diced her way through that match and did a great job of using her backhand slice to put Ludmilla Samsonova in uncomfortable positions and look Samsonova's the sort of line drive player be aggressive on the first strike that that's very you know similar to the what Anisimova wants to impose with her own game style and Martic will have just seen that and so she will be ready for the barrage of attacks Anisimova will throw at her that is going to be a fascinating match that's going to be a physical match as well because Martic will try to stretch Anisimova the problem is you know there will be times when Petra Martic's sec- second serve in particular is just a sitting duck for Anisimova. And I do think, I worry with Anisimova, I think her hands are better than Ludmilla Samsonova's. I think she handles slice better and, you know, off speed better than Samsonova does. And I just don't know if Martic hits the ball big enough to really disrupt the timing and rhythm and expose the lack of elite movement of Anisimova. So I expect Anisimova to advance, but Martic will make her uncomfortable. And then again, this whole section of the draw. I mean, tomorrow is a Danzig. It's a much needed straight set victory over Beatrice Haddad Maya. So Danzig's got to defend French open points coming up, folks. So certainly everything she can get between now and then, very, very valuable. Next up, she's got Victoria Azarenka, and that's a good start for Vika as well in this event as Vika uh, ultimately advances with a straight set victory over Victoria Golubic. It's a fun section. 
Go uh, Azarenka, Zidancic, who will test Azarenka physically. Martic, Sabalenka above them. Ekat, Katarina Alexandrova. With the upset victory, she comes back uh, against Yelena Ostapenko to earn a 6-2-4-6-6-4 victory, I believe. Uh, Alexandrova down big there in the third set, able to overcome that deficit. This is the more, most open section of the draw as both seeds knocked out. Pliskova knocked out by Marie Buzkova, and you've got a bunch of qualifiers in this section. Katarina Alexandrova, the qualifier. She's going to take on Nuria Parizas Diaz. Diana Yastremska, the qualifier, going to take on qualifier Marie Buzkova. So again, you have the loaded bottom section. Certainly the Sabalenka quarter, which is now the Azarenka quarter. She's the only seed remaining. Uh, it has opened up. And again, that was your first half of action we saw unfold here uh, on day one in Madrid. Second half of the draw coming up here tomorrow. And I mean, again, with the absence of number one, Iga Sviantek, the next time highest-ranked player, Layla Fernandez, now takes her place in the draw. 17th seed, Fernandez, partnered with seed. 16th seed, Elena Rabakina. You've got the always dangerous Jill Teichman, Anaconia in this section, as well as Petra Kvitova, who has played better and better here. And had she not injured herself before the French Open, I think a lot of people thought she could be a dangerous foe. Uh, so interesting to see her finding her form. Then you've got Emma Raducanu in a section with a bunch of talented young uh, youngsters, Marta Kostyuk, the wild card, going to face Clara Tossin. That might be my favorite first-round matchup. And you've got Angelina Kalanina taking on Sloane Stevens, And then Garbine Muguruza versus Alia Tomjanovic, the rematch. And those two played Wimbledon last year. Tomjanovic earning the upset victory, if memory serves me correct. How healthy is Muguruza? How well is she playing? That's a question all of us are wondering, and it's when you doubt Muguruza that she's most dangerous, so it actually wouldn't surprise me at all if Muguruza goes on to win the Madrid title. Then you've got the Sakari quarter of the draw. It's loaded. Sakari going to face Madison Keys first round. You've got Naomi Osaka in this section as she's taken on qualifier and last week's Istanbul champion Anastasia Potapova. You've got Cerebez Tormo taking on Roland Garros uh, finalist Pavlachenkova round one again. Cerebez Tormo Pavlachenkova Kova, Osaka, Keys, Sakari, all in one little section. You know, one of those players, one of those players is going to end up uh, in the round of 16, which is freaking crazy. And then you've got the Danielle Collins uh, little section of the draw. She's joined by Linda Fruvertova, the wild card. Love to see that. Bianca Andrescu in this section. Jess Pagula going to take on Camilla Georgie round one. Kaya Kanepi in this section. Bianca Andrescu, uh, facing Allison Risk, and then wildcard Monica Puig making her return as well. So exciting stuff in Madrid. And then again, according to the Tennis Abstract forecast, with no Iga Sviantek, Garbine Muguruza is your favorite. 10.5%, of course, that doesn't account for her most recent form. Then you've got Bedosa 9.4, Halep 9.2. As soon as that match is played, that person will be your favorite to win the event. You've got Jabour at 8.8, Danielle Collins 7.6, Petra Kvitova, as I mentioned, always sneaky, 7.8% chance. It's wide open, folks, and it promises to be a fun week of action in Madrid. And, of course, we'll keep our eye on it over the course of the weekend. Let's move on now to the two ATP events that we're already halfway through. And, again, you look at where we're at, quarterfinal Friday approaching. Let's start out with the action over in Estoril. Sebastian Baez continues to rock and roll. Baez in his first round match, straight set win over wildcard Joe Sosa. Now for Baez, three set victory over Marin Cilic. And you look for Sebastian Baez, the 21-year-old, 59 in the current rankings. That's a career high. Again, what has he done on the clay courts over the course of the past 52 weeks? Well, again, 60 and 26 overall. That includes challenger titles in Zagreb last season, challenger finals in Bratislava, in Kiev, a uh, final in Santiago, a title in Santiago, a title in Buenos Aires. He makes semifinals of the next gen, then goes and plays the challenger in Campinas, where he goes and wins that event built himself a top 100 ranking as such he's played exclusively or almost exclusively excluding the phoenix challenger atp level events this season he's 19 and 13 
overall. And on the clay courts here this season, he's already made quarterfinals in Cordoba. He made a, a final in Santiago earlier this season in South America, qualifies for the Masters event in Monte Carlo before getting knocked out in three sets by Pablo Carreno Busta. Now reaches the quarterfinals here in Estoril after his three-set victory over Sebastian Baez and uh, over Marin Cilic, excuse me. And for Baez, again, given his stature, he's 5'6", 5'7", you know, Argentinian, very easy to say, oh, is it Diego Schwartzman out there? It's not Diego Schwartzman. There is more line drive. There is more aggression behind what Sebastian Baez does than the counterpunch defensive, going to work you around the court and break you down nature of Diego Schwartzman. Baez's ground strokes are freaking weapons. And the drive he has on that backhand in particular, I mean, on the forehand side, it's impressive. I just think more players are able to replicate that. But the drive he produces on the backhand, his ability to use his quickness to move forward and drive the first volley into the open space, his ability to change direction both down the line and cross court, his fluidity as a mover. You know, the second serve sits up a bit, but he's very good at opening up space with the direction of his serve and very good at opening up the plus one combinations just an efficient game style and that efficiency is certainly uh reminiscent of what we see from Diego Schwartzman but I'm just telling you there's a little more sting to his ground strokes a little less creativity a little less improvisational skill I don't think he's quite as fluid as a defensive player as Diego Schwartzman is but again his ability to turn defense into offense to use his quickness and you know his quickness to take the ball early and beat you to the spot, it's immensely impressive. And simply put, that's what he was able to do against Marin Childs throughout the course of this match. Yeah, he was able to absorb the first strike. Yeah, he was able to play six feet behind the baseline and get a clean return of serve on the Marin Chilich serve. But, you know, again, whether it was against Sosa in round number one, whether it was against, you know, Ramos or Montiero back in Santiago, there's just a combination of physicality and aggression that on the clay courts, it's undeniable. He's a top 50 guy on clay. The results this year are indicative of that fact. And again, he's into another quarterfinal here uh, this season on the clay. Did it earlier in, in uh, this year in Cordoba, Santiago, now does it in Estoril as well. He's got to be on your short list of danger, you know, unseated players who can make a second week push at the French Open. I'm not talking about making a deep push in the second week. I'm talking about making a push to the second week. You know, if it opens up where it's an Opelka as his seed or a Fritz as his seed, and then maybe his top, you know, Fritz is his top 16 seed and Hatchinov is a bad example, but maybe Demon – well, Demon Hour has been playing better lately as well. But someone frisk – again, even if it is a Demon Hour, like I think ba- Baez could beat both of those players on a clay court. Three out of five sets. I have no doubts about his fitness. Again, with his results here, quarterfinals here in Estoril, Sebastian Baez up to a new career-high live ranking. The 21-year-old currently sitting, uh, I believe – oh, excuse me. He's at number 66 with his result. No, that can't be right because Sebastian Baez – Baez just made the Estoril quarterfinals. There we go. Sebastian Baez with this result. Yeah, up to a new career high live ranking of 54. Not sure what happened there. Oh, I had the ATP points race in front of me, but up to a new career high live ranking of number 54. I mean, yeah, again, 21 years old, going to get to set the schedule however he'd like, has made the most of his challenger success. And yeah, he's got all of those points to defend throughout the course of the year, but he's made three quarterfinals at the ATP level. He's still got French Open points to put on his resume as well. He's going to get into the main draws of all the slams this season. Unequivocal success, unequivocal leap forward for Sebastian Baez. And you look for Baez now, I mean, we all are going to get the matchup we're looking for here in Estoril as 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 Sebastian Baez now going to uh, get to play Richard Gasquet. Oh, excuse me. We don't get the the matchup we're looking for. I forgot Diego Schwartzman withdrew uh, from the event. But Sebastian Baez now going to play Richard Gasquet. I mean, that's a winnable match. Like, that's a match. He, I know Gasquet has looked excellent this week, whether it was his win over Tommy Paul or a straight set win over qualifier Hugo Delian here today. But who's the favorite, in your opinion? In that matchup between going into that quarterfinal between Gasquet and Baez, it's got to be Baez, right? Who's won more ATP level matches than Gasquet over the past two months, one month, six weeks, you know, 10 weeks, three months. 
12 months, whatever you want it to be, Baez has been the better player, particularly on clay courts. That's a match he should win. And then look, he'd face the winner of Albert Ramos and Fernando Verdasco. Why can't he be the favorite? Or why isn't he the favorite? entering this bottom half of the draw. I know from a pedigree standpoint, he won't be, but I'm with Tennis Abstract Singles Forecast. They have Baez as the favorite to advance to the final. 37.2% chance, then Ramos 27-9, Gasquet 21-8, Verdasco 13-1. I would agree with that assessment. I think you all should as well. And go watch the highlights. Go see what Baez does to break down Chilich. It was impressive. Baez advancing to the quarterfinals where now he's got Gasquet and then again, Albert Ramos, a 3 victory just so physical does such a good job of breaking you down and then the moment you let off the gas just rips a forehand cross court gets you stretched there's so much knife on his forehand and he's such a fluid mover and look now he's going to take on lucky loser Fernando Verdasco who yeah it's always fun to watch the lefty former top 10 player in the world do his thing but uh top 10 top 20 whatever he was but you know again I think Ramos versus Baez is the matchup we should all be looking forward to because those are two dangerous players always on the dirt of course the top half of the draw perhaps even more loaded uh as you look at the top half Felix Ogier alias seem a second three set victory over Carlos Taberner and some of you may be thinking he goes three sets again with Taberner a Taberner's been so successful on the clay courts at the challenger level ATP level throughout the course of his career just makes things so physical but b it's really hard to beat a player two weeks in a row and FAA has done that now against Taberner. And yes, they were both three set victories, but they were both victories for Felix, who I thought moved well, hit his forehand assertively, got more and more comfortable on the surface as the match progressed, and now is going to have the test of tests. He's going to take on Sepi Corda, who hit one of the best on the stretch backhand one-handed flicks as a passing shot against Benjamin Bonzi. And I retweeted the clip. You can go find it at AL Gruskin on Twitter. But I mean, Corda's already gotten a win over Alcaraz on clay this year. He's probably the favorite on clay against Felix, just given the two of their recent results. I mean, Court has made a fourth round at the French Open on clay. FAA has not. That's a fantastic matchup, though, regardless of the surface. And then the bottom half of this section, I mean, Davidovich Fokina, who earns a straight set victory over Zapata Morales, he's now going to take on Francis Tiafo. Tiafo's going to rise to the occasion. And Tiafo's going to be able to match Davidovich Fokina's, you know, physicality, creativity plus one power. Davidovich Fokina, if he serves well to that Tiafo forehand, again, that's the only matchup issue you would say for either guy, but on the clay courts, Tiafo has that much more time to set on his forehand. I mean, this match is going to be spectacular. And this is a litmus test match for Francis Tiafo, who has gotten by in his first two rounds, whether it was his three-set victory over the Deuce, Dusan Lajevic, three-set win over Nuno, with his physicality. He Outward, you know, two six zero third sets where just again he had enough gas left in the tank. Those two guys did not. Davidovich Fokina can match that physicality, and that's what makes this matchup so fascinating. Again, this top half of the draw is ridiculous. FAA versus Corda, Davidovich Fokina versus Tiafo. Lock into Astral, folks. It is going to be a fun weekend of action. With that in mind, let's move over to our other tournament happening this week in Munich. And, you know, again, yeah, top seed Alex Vera knocked out by Holger Rune. Look, I mean, Holger worked him. Like, Holger matched his physicality. Holger made him tentative. And Holger took advantage of Zverev getting passive and drop-shotted him to death and was, you know, again, hitting was the one dictating the rate of play, was dictating when we're going where and who's doing what and just was able to come up with passing shots when Zverev would tentatively approach the net or Zverev didn't hit a decisive approach shot, all these different things. Rune made it pay every time, and it's a bummer that Rune has to now withdraw from the quarterfinals as he opts to go play Madrid qualifying instead. And, of course, you can understand why he'd go play that match. 1,000 qualifying, the points, the money, the prestige, just better for him than the 250 points available in Munich. And as Enrico Riva revealed on Twitter, there is no special exemption for 250s going to a Masters event. Normally, you know, if you're in qualifying, but you make the semifinals of an equal level event the week before, you get a special exemption into the main draw the next week. There is no special exemption offered in this case for Holger Rune. So he goes off to play qualifying in Madrid instead. But I mean, he just made Zverev pay 
for all of the tentativeness. And, you know, you look at the stats in this match. Holger Rune ends up, I believe, what was it? Oh, we don't have winners on four stairs available for us in this one. That's unfortunate. Nevertheless, Rune made 78% of his first serves. He won over 50% of his return points as well. He won, yeah, 24-48 on return points. I mean, that's just unacceptable if you're Zverev. Who... I mean, what's the definitive result for Zverev this year? Like, there is none. He he lost to Shapovalov badly in Australia. Obviously, everything that happened in Acapulco, you know, was okay in Indian Wells, but ultimately comes up short. Was okay in Miami, but ultimately comes up short. And yeah, I mean, makes the semifinals, but Tsitsipas blitzed him over in Monte Carlo. Now loses first round to Holger Rune, another one of those young guys on the Ascension who just got him on that given day. He didn't dominate him. He wasn't like, that's cute, next gen, next, next gen, but this is my time to dominate. All of these different things, the passivity continues to emerge for Zverev. I mean, we, there's just still so much clay court tennis left. That's why I'm not willing to write him off because we still have an event in Rome, which he won last season. And, you know, again, the quickness of those clay courts, a place where he has traditionally had success. And then three out of five sets physically, the guy's just a lock to make second rounds of grand slams. And once you make a second week, a uh, second week, excuse me. And once you make the second week, you know, with how open things feel right now on the ATP tour, you just feel like anything can happen, right? Let's say Alcaraz draws Nadal in the quarterfinal or, and Tsitsipas draws Djokovic in the other quarterfinal. And Zverev is on his lonesome side with, you know, a Kasparud, of course, obviously dangerous. But let's say Zverev's just not on a side with any of those players, which is a feasible possibility. Well, then you can't write him off because of how open everything is. But he is not playing well. And he is not one of the favorites entering the French Open. He is not even in the conversation of guys who can win the title right now. He has to step up his game. You know, I thought this was a massive opportunity for him to do so in Munich on home soil, you know, again, in front of a home crowd. And he didn't do it. He loses straight sets first match and flies right off to Madrid. Now, again, he'll have the opportunity to bounce back in Madrid right away, but just an unacceptable result for Zvira of another one. And again, I don't mean to take anything away from Holger Rune. It's the biggest win of his career. We've talked about the former world junior number one had the chance to speak with him on the cracked interviews podcast in december he's got such a complete game moves so well defensively on the slide his forehand and the passing shots the creativity it's all there finding a plan a and how he's going to win points easily for himself will define his ceiling but the serve gets better he talked about it on the podcast he continues to improve his plus one tennis there's a lot to like about Holger Rune, and obviously that was an impressive victory for him and uh, to get to the quarterfinals, but now he's obviously going to bow out, go play Madrid qualifying. That means Emil Roussevori advances to the semifinals, and for what it's worth, Emil Roussevori, seven career ATP quarterfinals, now three of them here this season. He's 7-3 and three overall on in just clay court matches this year at the ATP tour level. He's 21-26 and 26 in his career going into this season in clay court matches. Seven and three overall at the tour level this season on clay versus 21 and 26 overall in his career going into the year. If that's not indicative of growth, I don't know what is. We talk enough about Rusevori on this show, so I'll simply say the movement's real, the weapons. I mean, he just can dictate play. His forehand is usually the biggest weapon on the court. His ability to snap off a backhand at a moment's notice, it's just special. Emil Rusevori right now up to a new career high ranking of number 58 uh, uh, overall. I mean, again, still have a full summer hard court swing to play, which you feel like is going to be his best surface. He's going to now probably be in a position to get into the Cincinnati's and Canada's of the world on his ranking. Certainly will get into the city opens of the world, Atlanta's, Los Cabos, no problem. Amir Rusevori, the 23-year-old, has positioned himself perfectly. And again, if Alcaraz wasn't breaking through so loudly, it would be and Kasmenovic as well, we'd be talking more about the Rusevoris of the world, who's not on that tier, uh, but has certainly had a, a degree of a breakthrough here this season. He's into the semifinals where he awaits the winner of Oscar Ota and Alejandro Tabilo. And Tabilo, the lefty uh, Chilean who is currently at a new career high live ranking right now, the 25-year-old who entered the week at a new career high ranking of number 91, currently sits at a new career high live ranking of number 84 as he reaches the quarterfinals here in Munich. And look, I mean, the lefty's got a really fun game on the clay court. Serves in volleys and imposes his will, the drop shots, but also moves extraordinarily well with a guy 
who's got a curious sort of body. He's got hulky size out there, and yet the creativity, the fluidity, really impressive victory for him to survive against Hugo Gaston. Now he's going to take on big servant Oscar Ota. Ota, 7-6-6-2 upset victory over Opelka. I mean, Opelka just didn't play particularly well. Served well in the first set. Ota got the break, and Ota served too big. Riley just wasn't able to find his rhythm as a returner in this match. But So no seeds remaining in the top half of the draw in Munich. Only seeds remaining in the bottom half. Kasmenovic, who I test-wise, he blitzed through Daniel Altmaier, blitzed through Rayberg in his first two matches. He's just playing exceptional. Six straight quarterfinals for the Serbian. He's up to a new career. Uh, is he up to a new career high in the live rankings? I believe. Yeah, he is up to a new career high in the live rankings. Number 33 overall is the 22-year-old. Of course, you look in the points race. Mimir Kasmenovic, 18th overall right now. Again, has three uh four wins to defend from the for the rest of the season four wins to defend he could make a top 15 push like that's the sort of opening right now Mirmir Kesmenovic has opened for himself with how successful he's been through this first third of the season of course now he's going to be the favorite in his matchup against the higher seeded Nicolas Basilashvili Basilashvili surviving for a physical three set win over the always tricky Ilya Ivashka and then you've got Botik Vandesinskulp taking on your number two seed Kasper Rude Rude surviving in three sets today against Alex Mulcan. I thought it was a good result uh, there for uh, Kasper Rude who just again made the match physical and, you know, again, was patient in going after his first forehand, patient in incorporating the backhand slice and just was willing to sift through all of the Mokan nonsense. A good victory for him. Now he's got the always tricky, of course, Vanderson Sculpt, who's looking more and more comfortable at the ATP level and on clay in particular with every passing match. So it's a really fun set of quarterfinals. Again, Runa uh, Rusevori advancing, but Ota versus Tabilo. There's your big servers. Kesmenovic versus Basilashvili. There's your contrast of styles. Vanderson Skulp versus Rude. That one's just funky, folks. So should be a really fun week of action on the ATP Tour. Of course, Munich, uh, uh, excuse me, Madrid qualifying gets underway this weekend, and that 1,000-level event gets underway next week as well. So, folks, stay locked in as there's plenty of action, as always, unfolding across levels in the tennis world. Of course, in the college world, we're approaching the NCAA tournament. Postseason play nearly upon us. And if you need to play catch up on anything that's happened, got you covered over on the Great Shot podcast feed and on our episodes of The Deciding Point on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. Of course, can head out and over to the Cracked Interviews podcast feed to hear from SMU men's tennis head coach Grant Chen. You can also hear from, I guess, just, tennis influencer Ryan Redondo who of course goes runs the Barnes Tennis Center CEO of Youth Tennis San Diego was instrumental in bringing the ATP event to San Diego last season and has plenty of fun stuff planned this summer including the Southern California Pro Circuit which you can go hear more about uh, by again listening to that podcast over on the Cracked Interviews feed and for all that content head on over to our website CrackedRackets.com of course if you need the more immediate updates Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube we are at Cracked Rackets you want to message me directly I am at a L. Gruskin, a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f- of an any job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, for our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we will talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. 
Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com.